Hello and welcome to church. This is the Lighthouse Digital Church. We're so glad you could make it today. Before we proceed, this is a recap from last Sunday. Stay with us. You might look at yourself with blemishes. You might look at yourself that you got fought. God says, no, I don't see you like that child. You are blameless and faultless. How could it be? How could I be blameless and faultless when I don't do things right? It's because of the gift of his son. God looks at you through the eyes of Jesus. God looks at you through the lens of Jesus. So the Bible here says he is able to present you, take you away from sin, take you from stumbling into sin and present you before his own presence as what? Blameless and faultless. And then God brings you before his own presence, blameless and faultless. But what does he do with triumphant joy? And unspeakable delight. So as he's presenting you, it's not grumbling. As he's presenting you, it's not mourning. As he's presenting you, it's not it's not wishing. Oh, I didn't, I didn't. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't save David. No, he didn't do that. You know, as he's presenting you, he's joyful. He's he's throwing a party. He said, "Look at my son. Look at my daughter. That is what he's doing." The Bible says God is able to keep you from doing that. God is able to keep you from stumbling into sin and present you unblemished and unblemished and faultless with unspeakable delight in his own presence. God is the one who is doing the work. You just need to cooperate with, with him. Praise God forevermore. Now, here is today's message. Hello, good morning. My name is Davis Bamigboye. Today, I want to continue part two of the message that I started last week called The Power of His Presence. If this is your first time of coming to the Lighthouse, Digital Church, I just want to welcome you warmly that we're so delighted to have you with us today. I promise you by the power of the Holy Ghost that your life will not remain the same as you begin to understand your unique identity in Jesus and as you actually put that to use and apply that into your own life. Let us pray. Wonderful Father, thank you for what you started with us on this message last week. We understood the power of your presence that the Ark of the Covenant represented your presence, represented Jesus as our Ark. Jesus is also the, the Ark that Noah built in the Old Covenant that withstood the raging storm of the flood on behalf of those who were redeemed. Thank you that in this new age, in this new covenant, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, O oh God, we look at this message through the eyes and through the lens of Jesus and see how this applies to us today. Lord, we thank you for the glory of Jesus this morning and for the power of the Holy Ghost that will touch your people's lives in the name of Jesus. Grant me the ability to be able to express your words without any confusion and clearly for people to understand and put this to use in their own lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, I just want to say thank you again for joining us this morning. My name is Davis Bamiboye and I will be your host today. The part two of the message that I said last week is called the power of his presence. And last week, I looked at the Ark of the Covenant and began to look at the ramifications behind it and how, how it relates to the believer today. The main text we looked at was Joshua chapter one, Joshua chapter three, rather, verses one to four. And I read, the Bible says, Joshua got up early in the morning and then he and all the children of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they spent the night there before they crossed the river. And it happened at the end of three days that the officer went throughout the camp and they commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, 
being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from where you are and follow it. However, there shall be a distance between you and it of about 3,000 feet by measurement. Do not come near it so that you may be able to see the ark and know the way where you should go for you have not passed this way before. The reason why they must look at the ark as I mentioned last week was because they haven't gone that way before. So God wants them to see stuff, wants to see the ark ahead of them so that they can follow the ark. And I said what this meant for us was that we should us always seek the Lord in all, 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 of, all, all of our undertakings, right? So that the Lord can direct us and so we don't lean on our own understanding according to Proverbs chapter 3. So last week we looked at the Ark of the Covenant in terms of three layers. We looked at the Ark of the Covenant outside, Ark of the Covenant inside, and Ark of the Covenant on top. Alright, so today I will continue with the Ark of the Covenant on top of the Ark of the Covenant. What can we see there and what do they represent? Okay. Now, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, you see the Ark of the Covenant if on your screen. If you're listening to this on the podcast, what we have on the screen now should be the Ark of the Covenant. But on top of that, we are focusing really on what is on the Ark of the Covenant. And we're focusing on the mercy seat. We stopped last week on the mercy seat. So that is where I'm going to continue from. Again, if this is the first message you're watching on our channel, uh, or you want to watch the replay, you can go to YouTube on our channel and watch the part one of this because without watching the part one, part two might not really make a lot of sense for you. But if you're in the live church and you were here last week, then this is just a continuation of what I preached last week. But if this is your first time of uh, even coming to our live church, um, don't let I, don't get you won't get too confused in any case. But please do go back to the YouTube channel and you will see the part one replay there. Praise God. Exodus chapter 25 verse 17, the Amplified Version says, You shall make a mercy seat, cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. Exodus chapter 25 verse 17, the New Living Translation says, Then make the ark cover the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Now, the words mercy seat that we found in this um, amplified version in Exodus chapter 25 verse 17 was actually used to describe the person of Jesus Christ in the Passion Translation. The same words were used in Romans 3.25. In the Passion Translation, the Bible reads and I say, and I, in the Bible quotes and I read, Jesus' Jesus's God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins and now is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the blood of Jesus, by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice, because until now, he had been so patient, holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. What this is saying is that God ordained in advance <laughs> that it is only atonement by faith in the blood of Jesus that can bring forgiveness of sins. What this means is that the old covenant saints, um, every single time the blood of bulls and goats were splattered on the mercy seat, uh, the, mercy, the blood itself cannot really uh, pay for their sins. But because God has ordained ahead of time in his own wisdom 
that when he looks at our blood he thinks about it in light of the fact that christ will come in the future to pay for the sins of the world and he covered over their sins until christ came praise god so christ now has become our mercy seat so when you look at the ark of the covenant now you should see when you have that mercy seat in between the two cherubim you should see that as a type of jesus praise god now let me take this same passage in the king james version and you begin to see a beautiful thing come out of it in the kjv romans 3 25 says whom god had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of god now there are a couple of words i want to talk about here in the kjv the first one is the word propitiation and the second one is the word uh, are the words set forth okay let's look at propitiation propitiation actually is talking about a, a word that is coined from the greek word that meant hilasterion hilasterion means the gift that procures propitiation or the gifts that expiates essentially it's talking about the gift that makes the payment happen so when you compare the version of the kjv and you compare that to the tpt you see that propitiation and mercy seat are is at the same words they, they actually meant the same thing essentially christ being our mercy seat is also our propitiation is the sacrifice that expiates the sacrifice that procures forgiveness praise god forevermore so the mercy seat that was the lead of the ark of the covenant that were that was carried throughout the wilderness experience of the of the hebrew people as is a type of jesus now who is become our mercy seat under the new covenant under the new covenant we can come to the throne of god bearing in mind that the one who sits at the right hand of god the father is a, a person full of mercy is a person who has paid a price on our behalf every single time the old testament uh, um, christians or old testament believers rather when they were making this um, offering on on the altar they were the, the the bible says that they will lay their hands on the goats and they will confess their sins on the goats and essentially the goat the goats and the bulls would take their place all right therefore when the blood of the goat and of the goats and bulls uh when the blood is offered now on the mercy seat is as if they were the one being offered okay now but in the new covenant when christ hung on that calvary's hill on carries on on the cross on Calvary's hill and his blood was shed it was as if you died as far as god is concerned your old man died together with jesus when he took his own blood and presented it presented it in the tabernacle in heaven and the father accepted that sacrifice it's exactly as if your is 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 exactly not as if it's exactly that your sins have been paid for that the blood that was shed for christ it was your blood all right that blood now is being accepted by god now here's the thing when you put your faith in jesus and christ god already accepted the blood of jesus as if it is your blood right it means there's no other judgment for you to expect because you have transitioned from death to life the blood of jesus sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven guarantees the salvation of everyone who has put their faith in that blood that's why this scripture in kjv romans 3 25 is saying god set forth jesus 
as the payment for sin or as the propitiation how through faith in his blood it is the faith in the blood of jesus that was shed at calvary's ear that declared us to be righteous before god and that also made god to stand righteous among he among the hosts right because god now could somebody somebody cannot come and say how could you have redeemed this person when he didn't pay for it god will say my son who was sinless pay the price and that's the reason why the devil can never second guess god the devil cannot say oh god you know you 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 cut corners no because god did what nobody could do and his son paid the price on your behalf and that's the reason why you ought to be grateful for what christ has done for you you know the words set forth in that kjv again if we go back to whom god had set forth the whom there is talking about jesus god set forth jesus as the payment for our sins through faith in his blood that became our inheritance now the words the words set forth means to make a public display of something set forth means it's like when you you have an advertisement or you have a billboard that is showing forth something all right so it's visible and you can see it now the difference between the old covenant approach and the new covenant approach is that under the old covenant the high priest would go into the most holy place right you know and and offer the blood of the bulls and goats in secret nobody can see what he was doing because they they have no access there nobody could get into that most holy place because if they do they're gonna die but guess what god did under the new covenant god set for jesus publicly which means you cannot gain say it you cannot say it didn't happen so when he said it is finished it, may, it meant it was finished all right what this means brothers and sisters is that if something were to come to you today try to make you to second guess your salvation you can always look to the to the cross that was publicly displayed the, the christ hanging on that cross publicly displayed for the whole world to see he openly accepted shame so that you will not be shamed he openly accepted ridicule so that you don't have to be ridiculed what this is saying is that your salvation by god was not a product of second guess your salvation by god was not something that god had to think about twice your salvation by god was planned and and made um publicly available for everyone to see god did not hide your salvation god made it to be publicly available for everyone to see praise god forevermore hallelujah so now we see that the mercy seat is a place of forgiveness is a place where our sins are being paid for and no other person represented the mercy seat apart from the lord jesus at calvary's ear the righteous sentence of the law has been executed christ completely satisfied the just demands of a holy god for judgment on sin by his death on the cross god foreseen the cross is now declared righteous in forgiving the sins of the old testament saints and is also declared righteous in justifying sinners under the new covenant so what i'm saying here is when god looks forward to the father christ was going to do this in the future god is is justified is declared righteous for doing that because god is saying basically my son is going to pay for this in the future and today god is also you know declare righteous for justifying those of us that put faith in the sacrifice of jesus so propitiation brothers and sisters is not placating a vengeful god 
propitiation is the satisfying of the righteousness of a holy God, thereby making it possible for him to show mercy righteously. Romans 3.25 in the New Living Translation says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. What this is saying is that Christ is being presented as a sacrifice for sin and you are made right with God forever when you believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for you and his blood was shed for you. Praise God. So the question now is, when did Jesus, when did he shed his blood? He shed his blood over 2,000 years ago. At the time that Jesus Christ died, the sins of the whole world was paid for. So the death of Jesus became a significant event in history when the Old Testament people, when you look forward to the cross, they are looking forward to it by faith. We, the New Testament saints, will look back to the cross. So if you imagine the cross standing in the, as a point in time in history, and those Old Testament saints look forward to it, those of us who are New Testament saints will look back to it. All right. So therefore, when, the, when we talk about your sins being paid for, past, present, and future, we are basically saying that there's nobody on the earth today who is alive today that um, that had any sin before 2,000 years ago. So if you're alive today, you are not older than 2,000 years ago, right? Which means every sin you've, you have ever committed from the time that Christ died up until now into the future already paid for. So you are looking back to the cross. So when we say your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, we're saying from the point frame of reference of the time that Christ died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, every sin that has ever been committed from that point forward into the future has been paid for. But how does it come into you? How does it get credited into your account when you give your life to Jesus? God credits that into your account. Praise God. Now, for those who are old covenant saints, they look forward because during their time christ hasn't come right so they look forward with hope onto the day when christ will come and by putting faith in the christ that hasn't yet come god also declared them righteous praise god forevermore so you you're gonna see on the screen here a picture of the cross being the interface between the old testament and the new testament so if god there's a question i've got here on the screen if god could overlook the sins of the past on credit as it were because of the death of Jesus that was to come in the future that is for the old covenant saints now how much more will he pardon sin of the new covenant believer because of the death of, the, of Jesus Christ that has now happened I just want you to think about that think about that question is this is it it's not a trick question it's just a question for you to ponder so that when we start talking about the fact that your sins have been forgiven past present and future you're not going to start thinking this is heresy it's not heresy think about that the the the, the, the what paid for your sin happened 2000 years ago there's no sin that you committed today that is earlier than 2000 years ago so if god could overlook the sins of the past right because they believe in jesus that hasn't yet come how much more will he now overlook your sin or because you believed in jesus who has already paid the price for you now let me give you an answer to that question if you go with me to first john chapter 2 verse 2 first john chapter 2 verse 2 in the passion translation the bible says you are my dear children 
and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiven Redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Verse 2 is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world when you look at this scripture i'm going to unpack it for you so that you can understand what he's saying the first thing is you are my dear children so this scripture is talking to believers it's not talking to sinners it's talking to believers say hey but you know mr believer madam believer let me tell you something you are my dear children the Holy Spirit is penning this and say, you are my dear children. You are a child of God, which means you belong in the family. You are not a servant of God. You are a child of God. All right. Okay. So, my dear, ch my dear child, I am writing this to you so that you won't sin. The admonition here is saying, listen, this letter, this epistle, this missive is written to you so that you don't fall into sin. So that you don't make sin a lifestyle. That is the purpose of this letter. Ina said, but if... You know, notice he didn't say, but when. When means sin is your lifestyle. But if means, if by chance you find yourself stumbling into sin. If anyone does sin, there's something that God wants you to remember. You have a forgiven redeemer. In the text we read, it says you have, a, you have continually a forgiven redeemer. <laughs> what this means is that Christ is not your redeemer today and not your redeemer tomorrow. Christ is not your forgiver today and not your forgiver today, tomorrow. Essentially, he is a consistent, persistent, forgiving redeemer. But not only that, he is a redeemer who is face to face with the Father. Now, notice here, the Bible calls God the Father. Even in the midst of this conversation about sin, God still says, the Bible still says, God is your Father. And what this means is that in the middle of your confusion, in the middle of the mess you may find yourself, God still remains father to you. Remember the story about the prodigal son? The prodigal son came back home because he remembered the goodness of the father. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 2, I believe it's in verse 4, that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It is when we focus and remember how good God has been, how good God is, and how good God will always be that will bring us back to repentance. Praise God forevermore. Now, I want to hone in on this these words, the forgiven redeemer. You know, the words forgiven redeemer is also the word that means advocate or the redeemer who hands the cause. You know, this Bible here is saying that the one who is seated beside God, the forgiven redeemer, his name is Jesus, right? The Bible says this one is face to face with the father. But what is his role? The Bible says the role of the forgiven redeemer is the role of an advocate. Isn't that the same appellation title that was given to the, to the Holy Ghost in the book of John? The Bible calls him, you know, our advocate, our counselor. You know, an advocate is a one who is a, a parakletos in, in, in Greek language. It means someone who is called alongside to help. You know, uh, is someone who is there pleading your case. Christ here in this in this scripture is our forgiven redeemer and is, is this title that is God is the title that is given to him here is the title that says advocate or the redeemer who hands the cause. This is the reason why as a child of God you have no need to be afraid that there's generation generational cause in your life because Christ is the one that showed up to end the cause. The cause of what? The cause of breaking God's laws. It's, it's ended. The cause of falling foul of God is ended. Christ is the one who showed up 
and ended the cause on your behalf. Praise God forevermore. And guess what? He represents us presently, con- present continuous. He represents us with the Father. God is still your Father and He will remain your Father forever even when you messed up or you find yourself in sin. Now, let's take a step further into the one that says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, you know the Bible here is, is, is the, he didn't call Jesus Christ the condemning one. The Bible didn't say, oh, you have, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the, the, the condemning one. No, Jesus Christ the righteous one. So here is a picture that I saw. The one who is seated beside the Father, who is speaking the language of righteousness, is the one who is your advocate. But what is he saying, talking to the Father about? He's saying, this one is righteous because he is in me. This one is righteous because he is in me. This one is righteous because she is in me. That is the message. That's the conversation that Christ will be saying on your behalf. Praise God forevermore. So Jesus Christ is the righteous one. That's what the Bible says. So because you have the righteous one now representing you before the Father, you can come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy to help in time of need. The Bible says in verse 2 here, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atoning sacrifice is the same word that is meant mercy seat again. Christ is the mercy seat for our sin. He is a place of atonement for our sin. And the word mercy seat means the satisfaction for our sins, which means what your sin need or what your sins need has been paid for, has been satisfied by the blood of Jesus. The text says Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. He is the savior of the world. He is the, it's not only the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. That blessed me so much. What this is saying is that Christ has become, you know, the, sacri- the, the, the savior of the entire world. Not just for the believer, but for the entire world. And the Bible says as many as believed on him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. If you have believed in him and given your life to Jesus, Jesus, the door is always open. Praise God forevermore. Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the world. He paid for the sins that you have not even committed. How did he do it? By the death of himself. When did he do it? Over 2,000 years ago. How did you credit this sacrifice to your account? The very moment you gave your life to Jesus. Again, I said to you, your sins have been paid for. When you miss it, <laughs> just come back home to your father. When you miss it, God wants you to come back to your to your daddy and repent. Like I said to you over and over again, repentance is not groveling in the dirt and wallowing in the sand. Repentance essentially means do a turn, a, a, a turn around and face another direction. Let no guilt hold you back. Let no guilt hold your heart. God is still your daddy even when you miss it. And Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is right there at the right hand of the Father as your forgiving Redeemer, restating that the fact that the cause of breaking God's laws have been removed forever. Praise God forevermore. In this text, these two verses that we just look at now, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, there are three things that jump at me that I want to call out. Number one, Christ is our forgiving Redeemer. Is the one who intercedes on our behalf. Praise God. Number two is that he is the righteous one. He is not the condemning one. He is the righteous one who suffered in our place. Praise God. And number three is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and is the one who cleanses and shelters us. God the Father desires for you to be uh, at one with him. That is the meaning of atonement. Atonement means at one. 
to be at one, to be united together with him. Praise God that when Christ died in our place, we and we put our faith in that death and that barrier and that resurrection and that ascension. When we put faith in the blood that was shed for on our behalf, we have been atoned. We have our sins have been atoned, rather. We have come into atonement. We have come together in unity together with him. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Let's look at first John chapter 4, verse 10. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love not ours he proved this that love now by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins you see the phrase pleasing sacrificial offering to take our sins again is the same greek word used before in romans 3 25 called the mercy seat now the word used here is slightly different in the greek is the word elasmos the word elasmos means a cleansing satisfying sacrifice that provides a covering shelter i want you to look at the imagery of this text he's saying christ is our mercy seat but what does that mean it means christ is the cleansing is the satisfying sacrifice that provides a covering shelter you have no need to be afraid of god believer if you have given your life to jesus you have a cover from your father if you have given your life to jesus he is a satisfying sacrifice that already paid for your sins if you have given your life to jesus you have no need to feel filthy or worthless because he is the one who continually cleanses you praise god forevermore the mercy seat is the word elasmos or elast is the, 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 the mercy seat is the name that was given to jesus in Romans 3 25 uh, in that passion translation and here in Hebrews Hebrews 9 5 it was also referred to and is the word Elasmus is the person of Jesus Christ okay Hebrews 9 5 says on top of the lid of the ark were two cherubim angels of splendor with outstretched wings overshadowing the throne of mercy but now is not the time to discuss further the, the significant details of these things God's love provides the answers for life's greatest questions. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. What is love? On the other side of that text, it says, love is this. Love is defined this way, that God loved us long before we loved him. It is not us trying to love God. It is God's love made manifest in our lives that made us to respond to him. Praise God. We cannot love God by ourselves. So he showed us what love really meant. It was his love, not ours. It was his love, not ours. God proved that love to us by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. See, the Bible here used the word to take away. The Bible did not use the word to cover sin. To take away means to remove completely. Christ is the pleasing sacrifice that has taken away your sins. Again, when he did take away, the, excuse me, when he did take away the sins, he took away the sins 2,000 years ago before you were ever born, before you ever committed one act of sin. He took away the sins completely before you even ever committed the sin. So if he has taken away the sins before you even ever committed them, how could you struggle to believe that your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future? Because it took away those sins before you ever committed them. And this, the, the, the beauty or the benefit of what he has done get to come to your benefit now 
when you gave your life to Jesus. So God accredits that into your account because you have put your faith in Jesus. So if you have given your life to Jesus, you have put your faith in him, then you can be assured that you have eternal life. You can be assured that your sins have been forgiven. So I got about eight things, eight, uh, six points, sorry, six points here that I just want to quickly address. Number one, the love of God addresses the first question around why was I created? Listen to the answer carefully. You were created to receive and experience the love of God. You were created to receive and experience the love of God. You were created to receive and experience the love of God. It is not about you loving God and giving, giving, giving. It's about you receiving and experiencing that love. On the basis of you receiving and experiencing that love, you are then able to give the love. God wants you to receive his love and experience his love and then you can demonstrate that love to other people. Praise God. Why was I created? To receive and experience God's love. Let's go back again to that first John chapter 4 verse 10. The Bible says this is love. God is describing love for us. This is love. He loved us before we loved him. God's love from God's point of view is that he loved us first before we love him. It was his love, not ours. Love is defined from God's point of view, not from your point of view. So why were you created? So that you can receive and experience this love. Praise God. And this love was demonstrated. God's love is not cheap. It's not just mere talk. God's love was, God's love was demonstrated when he offered his son on the cross to be the pleasing sacrifice to take away your sins completely take them away no longer exists as far as god is concerned that should make you to be joyful that should make you to to be happy that should make you to know that god is not the one who is condemning you praise god number two question does god care about me does god care about me brothers and sisters i want you to know god's love is not like your friend's love god's love is not like your spouse's love God's love is not like your siblings' love. God's love is not even like your parents' love. Some of those those loves we've mentioned are the great love. They get loves set up. But some of them are selfish because it's about, what about me, what about me? But does God care about me? God's love is indiscriminate. He loves everyone and cares about every detail of our lives. God cares about every detail of your life. Praise God forevermore. Praise God forevermore. The Bible says, hearing is love, that God loved us first. And the same God who caused his rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous and his sun to shine on the wicked and the righteous, is still the same God. God is not, um, my sin is blessing because you're not a follower of him. If you're on the call right now or you're watching this on a live church or you stumble on this video on YouTube, or you're listening to this on podcast i want you to know that the father loves you and the father wants you for himself you're going through pain and challenges at the moment you're turning your back on this god who loves you so much and god has sent me to tell you 
come back home. Come back to your father. God is always there. When you're down in the trenches, God is there and his voice is calling you and saying, come, I love you. You were enrobed in dirtiness. You were labored by society. God says, I don't labor you. I love you. Come back home. Yes, yes. This one is, I said, somebody watching this right now, you're struggling with being a drunkard, alcohol. You can't control yourself. And that's put you down so much. You're under so much um, condemnation. God says, I don't condemn you. I can help you if you let me. I can help you if you let me. If you let me, just reach out your hands right now and say, Father, I receive. I receive your love. I receive your love. And right now, as, we, as we're sharing this right now in the name of Jesus, the love is touching you right now. The love is touching you right now. There's someone right now watching this. You're struggling from low self-worth. Nobody loves you. You grow up with this sense of, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy enough. God says, if you are the only person on the face of the earth, my son will still have come to die. I love you. You're part of me. I breathe my life into you when you were born. The heart that pounds on your chest, I put that in there to let you know that we always love you. God says, reach out your hand right now and receive your healing. Receive healing in your heart. Receive healing in your mental state. Don't look at your life from the point of view of the world. Don't look at your life from the point of view of what you have been labored when you were young. God says, I love you. I love you. I will always love you. I will never stop loving you. Praise God forevermore. Praise God forevermore. You've been bullied in school and you thought maybe God doesn't care. God says, I've got angels watching over you. Watching over you. They walk with you to school. They come back with you from school. I'm with you all of the time. You might be saying, oh God, I can't even hear your voices. I speak to you in your heart. That gentle voice of assurance, of love, of warmth. It's my voice telling you, it's going to be all right. I don't condemn you. Jesus Christ says, I have come to the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. That is the word of my Father. Praise God forevermore. Praise God forevermore. Number three question says, am I really free to choose or reject God's love? The answer is yes. Love must be a choice, freely and without compulsion. Just think about it. If you have somebody who's hanging out with you and that person is, uh, they, they are forced to love you, maybe because of what they're going to get from you. That's not true love. Love must be freely given. Must, love must be freely chosen. So when God's message of love comes to you, like we just seen the demonstration just in a couple of minutes ago, it's up to you to receive the message. Like those things that are, were coming out of my, my spirit and just being led by the Holy Spirit, talking about somebody who's suffering from alcoholism and stuff like that. They are the words of God to you directly. But it's up to you to receive that love. God is never going to force himself on you. God is a perfect gentleman. He will never force himself on you. You know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ said, me and my father will come and knock on the door. If you open the door, we're going to come in and sup with you. That's what he said. He will never, he will not break down the door of your heart. He will say the word, then up to you to yield to that and receive him. Praise God forevermore. Number four, what is the way of salvation? The way of salvation is simply this. Love, that is God. Love became a man, Jesus Christ. Died as our sacrificial offering. And when you believe in him, we receive the gift of salvation. Simple, love became a man 
and this man is Jesus Christ who came died at Carrie's Hill to pay for our sins forever and when you put your trust in him and believe in what he has done you receive that gift of salvation praise God forevermore if you're on the call right now and you want to give it a try you have tried life by yourself it hasn't worked for you I bring you good news I bring you the message of salvation from my father and he's asking to tell you if you can just believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord you will be saved Romans chapter 10 verse 10 says that so I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation right now if you believe that Christ came indeed as love as a, as a man without sin but became sin for you went to Calvary's hill and paid for your sins of the world even before you showed up here and he's asking you just believe that if you believe that in your heart you just got to confess that with your mouth. The Bible says you're going to be saved. So I want to lead you in the place of prayer. Say with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize the futility of my ways. I acknowledge that you indeed came as a man and you died for me on Calvary's hill. After three days, you were raised from the dead and you paid for my sins forever. Today, I put my trust in you. Be my Lord and my Savior. I choose you today. In Jesus' name. If you say that with, with your mouth and you indeed believe that in your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I just want to welcome you to the family of God. Praise God forevermore. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Number five. Now that you are saved, how can you really know that you are saved? Last week I spoke about that first John, that book in first John, and I said, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Please go back and listen to it. But I'm just going to recap here. How can you know that you are saved? When you respond, when you respond by faith to God's loving invitation, and then you demonstrate it by loving others you have that assurance of salvation what i'm saying here please try and understand i'm not saying that it is by your works that you you have assurance of salvation but when you demonstrate love to other people it makes your heart not to condemn you all right but your salvation from god's point of view is based on the sacrifice of jesus forever praise god now how can i know that god loves me oh that is simple how can I know that God loves me? In your good days, in your not so good days, it doesn't, this, this has nothing to do with how you feel. This has nothing to do with how you feel. Please try and understand that this, what I want to share now, has nothing to do with how you feel. It is love that prompted God to send his unique and his beautiful son to the earth to be our savior and our redeemer. Now, he, Jesus, offers to everyone the invitation to experience even a deeper measure of his love. And he has given us his Holy Spirit as confirmation that he loves us and cherishes us and gives us the power to love others. What this is saying here is that if you want to really know how much God loves you and, and whether God does not love you or loves you, just go back and look at the cross. Look at the price that was paid for you on Calvary's hill 
and by looking at that cross, by looking at what was done, by looking at the fact that Christ was sinless and he died in your place, you will indeed come to realize that God loves you. When you feel bad, when things are not going in your life, just cast your eyes back to Calvary's hill and you see that indeed God loves you. So how does this information, what we shared this morning, how does that relate to you as a new covenant believer? Well, praise God. I want to share with you that when the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they're going towards Jordan, which we're going to be covering in future weeks, it is Jesus himself who is the Ark of the Covenant. It is Jesus himself who is the mercy seat. Now, God wants you to have your conscious, your conscience to be riddled with his mercy, to be conscious of his mercy operating in your life. That's why the Bible says, book of uh, uh, Psalm 20, 20, 24, 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? But you go to the end of that um, psalm. It says, goodness and mercy follow me. Goodness and mercies follow me. So God wants your heart to be filled with the mercies of God. God wants you to know that Christ is the one who has come in the flesh on your behalf. God wants you to know that Christ is only through Christ that you can have eternal life, which you now do have if you are giving your life to Jesus. But God also wants to carry a consciousness that mercy is always available, that you can come to the throne room of grace and receive mercy to help in time of need. I want to say something to you quickly as I round up, that it is in the place of mistake that you need mercy the most. It is when you have messed up that you need his mercies the most. Don't we think, oh, it's only when things are going on that maybe I need mercy, God's mercy. Trust me, you need, to, you need grace when you messed up. It is God's grace in the middle of your mess that will elevate you. Praise God forevermore. And so God doesn't want you to run away from him. God wants you to come to him so that you can enjoy him forever. Praise God forevermore. All right. Now, as a random, I just want to say with, to you, I will cover the rest of the topic in the coming weeks. But I just want you to know that God loves you. I want you to ponder on this First John chapter 4, verse 10. That says, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved his love by sending his son to be the pleasant sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Again, let's bring up that screen, on the screen now. Let's bring up the, uh, the, the cross, old covenant and new covenant. Again, I want to say to you, just think about this. Think about it carefully. Don't let your mind work against you. Just think about what I'm about to say now carefully. This, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Christ's hill paid for the sins of the world entirely 2,000 years ago. Right? Today, maybe you're 100 years old or 200 years old. That is a far cry from 2,000 years ago, right? Correct. Right, okay. So, he paid your, for your sins 2,000 years ago. But... That sins that you paid for, not just yours, but the sins of the whole world, that sin, the sins were paid for from that point, which means any infringement of the laws of God after that day has actually been paid for in reality. So which means whatever sin you commit after the sacrifice was made at Calvary's hill has actually been practically paid for by Jesus. That's why nobody will go to hell for their sins. Nobody will go to hell for their sins. The people will go to hell for not accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior because the sins have been paid for. Now, Davis, what are you saying? Are you saying if I 
make mistake i go in error i should not ask for forgiveness that's not what i'm saying i'm saying if you go into error repent change your mind i say daddy i messed up there please forgive me but you are asking for that forgiveness to lay hold of the to make real in your life what is already real in the spirit you are not asking forgiveness because god is going to send you to hell for making mistakes no the sins for breaking god's laws have been paid for by the blood of jesus and that is a radical statement so as you go now carry a consciousness that god is no longer looking at you as a sinner god is no longer looking at you as a sinner at all in whatever shape you are a saint of god at times you make mistakes now and what this message should prompt you to do is to run closer to god to love him more you see if you look at this first john chapter 4 verse 10 and you ponder it carefully what he's trying to say you see that he's saying that when you understand the meaning of love from god's point of view that it is not about what you are doing for god for god to love you it's about the fact that god loved you first and as you experience that love yeah then you can love others you can make that work in your life but the one key thing with this love the proof of the love of God for you and I is that God sent his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take our sins. Praise God forevermore. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back from the slave market. We are children of God. Satan has no hold over our lives. Praise God forevermore. The Bible says, praise be to God who has delivered us from the wrath to come. You have been delivered from the wrath to come. Praise God forevermore. Let us pray. Almighty God, I just want to thank you for this message about the mercy seat, Christ being our mercy seat. And that is a consciousness, the power of your presence. I thank you for those who gave their life to Jesus. I thank you for those, Almighty God, who are looking forward to you, O Lord, to heal them of any, any ache in their heart or any mental guilt. Lord, I thank you, Almighty God, that the, the power of your love right now is touching them and setting them free. Thank you, Almighty God. Thank you for, for those who have um, been consistently showing up in church every Sunday and those who have been watching the replay. I pray, Almighty God, that these, these words that they've been hearing will we, we produce results in their lives as they put these words to use. Help them, encourage them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, praise God. I just want to give you an opportunity to uh, uh, give to the ministry if God is letting you hard to uh, share your offering with the church. Please, you will see a link on the, on the screen. Uh, do give as you are led by the Holy Spirit. For God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give what you don't feel like giving. There's no compulsion here. God loves you in, in any way, whether you give or you don't give. And we love you too. God bless you. Until next time, remember, you are blessed and highly favored. Thank you for staying with us. We hope you've been blessed as much as we have. You can watch the replays of today's service at 10 a.m., on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and podcast. You can go through our YouTube channel for more content. You can also subscribe to our podcast on www.thelifehouse.org slash podcast. Our Sunday services commence every Sunday at 8 a.m. UK time. Our midweek service is at 6 p.m. every Wednesday. We look forward to you joining us. Until next time, please study and meditate on the word. And may God bless you. Sword and shield, though troubles linger still, whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me.
My strength 